Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers with the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Knife Talk. Thank you, everybody, for your awesome support. We've been getting a lot of really great questions on uh, on the Instagram direct message as well as in the forum. We've been, uh, yeah, just tons of good feedback. Uh, so, and uh, as a thank you, uh, I wanted to say that uh, we got a what do, we, what do we got here, you guys? We got a fifty dollar off. From our this week's ah, yes. uh, sponsor this week, and uh, that's from Soul Ceramics. That's S O U L uh, Ceramics dot com. You go in there. It's uh, it's the code promo code Knife Talk, correct? Yes, yeah. And yeah. I've I've been looking at their prices. Their prices are already way below list price. Way yeah. low. So, so they're if- already super low, and then they're offering another fifty dollars off on even heat heat treating kiln. And if mm-hmm. you're looking to definitely up your game, and get more consistent at your heat treating, in a, a, even even heat kiln, heat treating kiln is definitely a good way to go. Yeah, yeah. it's a good deal. Good, good deal. deal. I, I've Pretty just been deal. looking. So the the LB eighteen, which is like the almost the start, it's an eighteen inch kiln. Um, yeah. Normal list price is just a shade under two grand, so it's it's just thousand nine hundred. And right. with their discount, and also using the extra fifty dollars, you get twenty five percent off. So you get that's you get you get good. it for fifteen hundred, which is yeah. that's amazing. That's what I have. I love it. Mm, very good, very good stuff. So what we've been up it. to this week? What's been going on? Mm, Jeff, what are you doing? What have you been up to? Well, bud? I've, I've been, been seeing those Sabor I've chef knives. S- slaving away it's yeah. been it hasn't been very inspiring it's been a lot of hard work so i've been hand sanding like a crazed maniac mm-hmm. all week and it's been you know hard work hard work a lot of hand sanding but that's i saw fine. your uh, i saw your time lapse video on the knife talk stories that was pretty intense looked like a lot of hand sanding hmm. well yeah you know it's funny you know those time lapses they seem like they're quick but that was like a good hour and a half or hour and 15 minutes of just uh, just rough sanding to 220. So, you know, all of a sudden I watched it, I was just like, well, these things, people think I'm going to do this so quick. It's not that, it's just good, good amount of time. But um, in regards to uh, Knife Talk, I threw up yesterday, well, I didn't throw up, but I threw up onto the onto the page, <laughs> the uh, the new uh, New England School of Metalwork 2019 schedule. Mm. And I thought that was kind of a, a a good little resource for people if they're, they're looking to take classes and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, and I, I know that uh, we've talked about it before, uh, at least Jeff and I, and I think Craig's also talked about it too, but uh, just discussing like ways to get started. That I'm just constantly peppered with how do I get started? Uh, and like Jeff has said many times before, taking a class, having somebody to coach you side by side uh, is a great way to get started. Um, and there are people teaching classes all over the country, but New England School of Metalwork is a great facility. I've actually taken a course there. and. Um, yeah, I, I just really highly suggest getting started. If you have the means, get started by taking a class. Yeah, well, I've got classes booked. Unfortunately, I can't go to the New England School of Metalworks. Can we hear about your course? Can yeah, we hear about it. your courses? Yeah, so it's happening in France. Um, it's happening in January, um, but there is a link. So I've just bought a, well, I'm just in the middle of buying a, a hammer from Your Mate Sunset. The best. That's a good call. Yes. I love that guy. So, John Ariane is the best. So I took guy. your advice on, you know, what, the perfect hammer for a for a newcomer. Um, so it's a two and a half pound. Still unsure whether to go for a rounding hammer or um, with a peen or, you know, with or without a peen. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to receiving that pretty soon. He's going he's gonna to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Uh, for um, blade forging, uh, a cross peen is definitely a good way to go. Uh, for helping to spread the material out, I, from what I understand, a lot of the blacksmiths really like the bl- uh, the rounding hammers. But for bladesmithing, you really want a peen to help spread the material around, especially when you're pulling down the heel and drawing out the length of the blade. Um, mm. it, it's going to make a huge difference because when you're hitting with a rounding face, it spreads the material in all directions. But when you hit with the cross peen, um, it's spreading it one of two direct or only two directions, either up yeah, and right. down, essentially perpendicular to the 
the peen face. Yes. Are, is it a blacksmithing class or a bladesmithing class? It's a, well, it's a blacksmithing class, but the second yeah. week, if you want to continue, which is a five-day course, um, and if you want to go back for the second week, they concentrate more on blades. Mm. Um, so I think they get the fundamentals down in that first week. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to produce some knives. They reckon three knives in the second week. So it's it's that's good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun doing it in French because you know my French isn't too good. But uh, oh shit, jeez. You know it's manual stuff. You copy. You know. Yeah. Yes. Watch and learn. He, I th- I think I would I would probably agree with Mareko and say that you're going to get the most bang for your buck with a cross peen. But you know. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's your recommendation, so you know I'm looking forward to this hammer coming. It'll be cool. I already you told me, and I already sent a message to John saying. We gotta make sure that you know. I might add. I might end up sending you something a little extra too. <laughs> oh, he's gonna sneak something like, into you know, your package. Well, I don't like you know you all you guys. You guys heat treat. You pull out your knives with pliers and stuff. I mean, we gotta stop with that. We gotta get you some tongs. I'm gonna get you some pickup tongs. <laughs> Oof, so I made the good. decision that I made the decision that I'm gonna just either make some or I'm probably gonna just just to get back into it. I'm gonna make you some tongs and send you some tongs out. I'm tired of seeing you with your vice grips pulling out. <laughs> With your hot gloves, with your dopey gloves and your vice grips pulling pulling knives out of the oven. Stop it with that, everybody. Get yourself some tongs. Yeah. I don't is, think you can have enough tongs. Yeah. Is, no. Isn't the community great? You've recommended a, a maker. I've bought something from him. You're sending me something extra. It's all good. It's all good. Well, that's that's how, you know, hopefully, for now, until we all collapse, until it turns into, like, anarchy. <laughs> Community Which brings us nicely <laughs> to um, a showcase for a maker this week. Um, and this week, it's unusually, it's not, he's not making chef knives. So most of the people that I follow, they're making uh, knives for the kitchen. Um, but this guy isn't. So it's on Instagram, he's number one Jimmy Pie. So N-O, the number one Jimmy Pie. And he's making, well, I suppose, mainly bushcraft knives. But again, they're so clean, they're so precise. It's it's real beautiful work, and um, he does these interesting handles using wraps, and he he wax coats these these uh, wraps and so on. And they're they're just beautiful knives. So I've taken a lot of inspiration, even though they're not the sort of style that I'd go with. Um, they're beautiful knives. So that's number one, Jimmy Pie. Um, his I, name. I is went si- to go is, check him out. Yeah, his name is just Jim. That's all he's okay. listed as. So I don't know his full name, but it's sure. number one, as in N O, and then the digit one, Jimmy Pie. Um, we'll put, we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes. Um, but go and check out his work. It's lovely. It's clean. It's precise. Um, he has quite a few followers already, um, so he's certainly known within the community. Um, but it's it's yeah. I think it's it'll be good for everybody to take a look because it's, it really is beautiful work. I went to go check number him one, out, Jimmy Pie. Because I saw him in the notes, and he actually has a private account, though. So you can't just pop over and see. Really? So <laughs> I couldn't see anything. Well, so. well, well. Uh. Look what we have here. But you can definitely push the uh, gated the community. And... This is we call this this call this episode is Craig's com- uh, gated community <laughs> gated community progress. I don't know what. <laughs> what a mistake to make it! I didn't realize. But why? Why would people have a closed account? That's bizarre. That's you know. Anyway, I think request. I think it request might that do you can see his work. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, gonna, yeah, he's gonna be like, why are all these bots requesting me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jimmy, open up your Instagram. Jimmy Pie, here you are. Here we are. We're. T- I'm talking to you from the past. This is why. This is why you're getting a lot of bots. It's from us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Enjoy. Right. Enjoy your new notoriety. <laughs> also by the way change your settings god damn you by the way uh this this past week i've been working on uh some sire work that's been a, a huge pain in my ass uh Oof. we were talking earlier about what we've been up to hmm. uh and i'm working on an integral sire a sire a wooden carved sire that covers the integral bolster of the chef's knife uh, which has been a huge pain in my ass uh it's not easy it's fun hmm. hard definitely something wow. to learn but is is that Thought using the same wood as the handle then? Yeah, yeah. So the wood and the sire are all made out of one solid piece of material. I split the handle material off and then sent that out to be stabilized so that the grain comes back. And when everything's put together, the grain ideally flows all together really nicely with very little gapping except for 
you know, where the sock curve was from splitting it off. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been a serious challenge. It's something I've been wanting to do for three or four years now. And, uh, pretty much since I first made my first wooden Saya, uh, Hmm. but haven't really thought, or I didn't really know how to approach it. And then I just started whittling away and kind of figured it out. What, what kind of wood is it you're using? It's curly koa. It was, uh, it's actually wood that was, uh, earmarked as a reject piece. But once I got into the block, it's, it's super, super nice, really nice curl. It's an irregular curl, which I really like. I don't like the super uniform curls. I like the irregular kind of crinkle curls and or what are mm. the compression curls is what they're referred to. And, uh, yeah, so this has got some really nice figure in there as well as uh, some sapwood as well as heartwood. So you got some blonde koa in there as well. When you sent this stuff out to be stabilized, did you did you already drill the hole and and rough it out, or did you send a block that block? Yeah, I sent a block. So I sent a block to K and G, uh, Knife Maker Supplies. They're the best. And the best. Uh, they, I've I've sent a lot of material to them over the years, and I've that was always my first concern is like, is this going to make it all the way in? Um, and I've had no problems. I've split blocks into scales, had no issue, made all kinds of solid block handles out of them. So yeah, Kenji does a pretty good job, uh, stable, and they've been doing it for a long time. So they got a pretty solid system down. Mm. They, uh, actually, a couple years ago, I made some uh, handles with wine barrel wood, mm. and I sent it out to them, and I, I prepped it all. I cut everything down to the scale size, you know, a little bit thicker than scales, like three eighths, half inch. Sure. And then when I called them, they said, "Well, you know, this is pretty, you know, wet." And I and I said, "Well, how long do you think it's going to take to dry out?" He said, "Well, we're in Arizona. We'll just stick it up in the rafters, and after a week, it'll be dry." They they're they are they are actually really awesome to work with in terms of um, getting stuff stabilized. K and G is great. Yeah. They're in Arizona. Yeah. And I suppose the difference between a good stabilizing system and a bad one is the is the suck power, isn't it? I suppose you know whether you're going to get that you know fully into the material or quite often. Yeah, if you you know when I first started out stabilizing, all suck power. Yes, when I first started stabilizing, I was. You know, you'd cut into a block and you'd see the middle hadn't quite, you know, it hasn't quite penetrated enough. But, um, you know, mm. thankfully sorted that out. But it's, yeah. So, you know, if if you're going to try stabilizing yourself, get yourself a really good pump. I've seen some videos where people are saying you can use bicycle pumps and you can, you know, they're not going to work. No, no, man. They're not going to work. You got to get that, you got to get that suck. You got to oh, get yes. that good suck. Well, That's and- what I, you know, I did the, <laughs> when I was doing the talking about, I did a couple live feeds a number of year, a number of months ago about, stabilizing i try to keep it real simple i said the most important things are a long dry big suck deep soak easy bake that's mm-hmm. the four principles to stabilizing your wood big sucks well in some of these bigger companies some, uh, another process they add to the whole stabilizing system is pressure so that soak mm-hmm. time they do it usually under pressure as well uh so, so to really instead of just ambient uh, atmospheric pressure they're really cramping down and then turning around and sucking in any extra they can and yeah so yeah it, it's just it they have super high pressure equipment that does the job really well uh, and efficiently so for those who don't know what stabilizing is it's basically taking a piece of wood which is, is, you know, it's porous. It's got these tiny little air holes in them, and you know, in there, you know, especially if it's for a kitchen, you can you can get germs in there. You can get the water, the steam can get in there and damage your handle. So what you do, you you take your piece of wood, you first of all you dry it out, um, and you know, people have different ways. I know Jeff, you put yours in your even heat, don't you, to dry out first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got I've got a sort of drying out cupboard which is above a radiator which keeps you know a really sort of dry atmosphere in there mm-hmm. i pull them out they go into a, <clears throat> a hard resin um and you know people use cactus juice as an i use a hundred term there's 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 a few different versions of this resin um you put it into a a vacuum chamber so it's in resin in a vacuum chamber submerged submerged held it's, down under it's held down under yeah the the level of your resin yeah. So the vacuum then will pull out all the air that's in the wood. And it's amazing to see all these bubbles coming coming into the resin from, from the wood. Um, when you shut, you know, this can go on for hours overnight, however long you want. The longer, the better. When you turn off the vacuum, all of that resin is then sucked into the wood, into, where, you know, those porous areas where the 
was previously air. Um, then what you do, you let it soak over time, and then you put it in a in a low oven just to, just to sort of bake, and that creates this this wood, which is almost a bit of a hybrid between a wood and a plastic because it polishes yeah. up beautifully. Um, it avoids any damage from steam or water. Um, very safe to be in a kitchen because it's very hygienic. There's none of these little pores. Yeah, it's more um, dense too. Yeah, the weight can be crazy. The weight difference. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but wood is still a biological thing. Wood still kind of you know, it's not like it's not turning it into G10. Yeah, yeah. Wood no. is still a biological thing that can deteriorate, but it it, it gives you a just a, just so much so many more options. Hmm. Have you guys ever used any of these sort of hybrid handles that you see where they take a piece of wood, but they also use maybe a colored resin and then, you know, you have the two in together. Have you used any Absolutely. of them? Absolutely. That's my I, boy, Deranged Donkey. Yeah, I haven't played with that yet. Mm, That's I, my boy, Deranged Donkey. He's great. I've never used it. I always wonder about the bond between that sort of <clears throat> the, the, the plasticky stuff and the wood. Well, it's, it's, you know what? I, I have a lot of experience with it because I use it a lot. And there's a couple things I will say. Mm. One thing is, is I generally don't use that material for handle scales because I feel the same way. I did use it for one set of handle scales, and it worked out great. It was nice and thick. But generally, I use them for hidden tang knives, and there's a couple things because what happens is is they'll take a burl, and he'll stabilize the burl, and he'll stick it in a little chamber, and then he'll drop in, I think it's called a lumalite, different colors of lumalite. And what it'll do is, if you have that burl, it's it's like... it's like coral, and what happens is the aluminite, um, you know, it, it bonds. It bonds. It's not. It's not like a, a flat joint. It's like it's so. It's like a. It's like your fingers are tied together. It's like it's so well bound. And I, I haven't had a. <clears throat> pardon me. I haven't had a problem yet. And but what one thing that you should think about is when you're using that stuff, especially for wah style handles, which I I use them for, is you want to make sure that there's enough of the wood to hide your tang because if you can if you get that hybrid stuff if it's if it's clear like mm. some of the stuff i know my buddy fell knives he gets the stuff that's super clear and it's great because they you can embed like lego men in there or bugs or something <laughs> but if you if it's if you don't have enough wood for your exposed tang it's going to shoot through and you're going to see it mm. that's the other reason why i don't use it for scales because i'm always afraid you're going to see through it to a certain degree and you're going to see all the bullshit inside your handle so what Stop I try to do is your bullshit I to, in there. <clears throat> what I try to do is, <laughs> well, you don't want to see all, you know, you don't want to see the insides of your handle. So what I try to do is, and I've talked to Deranged Donkey, he's great. His name's Chris. He's awesome. I've when I bought stuff from him, I usually try to get stuff that's not clear, if unless there's enough wood, so I can hide the tang. Or what I'll do is I'll get the stuff that's not clear. I'll get the stuff that's like I guess it's opaque. And then you, if you kind of go through the wood and it kind of dips into the alumalite you're not going to see your the exposed tang mm, mm. i love that stuff people mm-hmm. are crazy for it it would be good to talk about this in a future episode actually because i've got a bunch of knives oh. coming up where i need to put stuff in resin so it needs to be clear um so there'll be a liner so you won't actually see the the tangs um but uh a customer i'm working with they want something cast in resin to be in the handle mm. um, oh there's your trick jeff you put a white liner what? underneath the clear scale hides you tang. still see but you still, you'll still see the glue. I've, I've been down this the road, glue. my brother. I got that JG, that Ghost JG10. I know what happens. You still, you'll still see any kind of glue or crazy glue or whatever you're doing to kind of, when you smush them together. It's like if you're if you're in if you're in science class and you take and you're trying to make a slide and you kind of smush some gluck together to look at some blood or something like that. And it kind of yeah. spreads out. It's the same thing. If it's clear, you're going to see whatever the bond is. And if you, mm. God forbid, you have some dirt on the inside of your liner, you're going to see that and it's going to drive you crazy. Mm. And you just got to be careful. You just got to tighten it. You got to tighten up your process. Tighten it up. Yeah. Well, then you're going to see, but then you're going to see if it's clear, then you're going to see the Corby bolts or your rivets or your whatever. See, when you drill through that <laughs> clear stuff, you're mm. going to see the, 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 unless you're going to mirror finish the inside hole and you're still going to see that pin. It's true. You know what I'm saying? True. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of hybrid system I need. I think, yeah. I'll look into yeah. that a bit more, but perhaps I'll speak with Deranged Donkey and see what they suggest there as well. The best part of <clears throat> Deranged Donkey is his name. 
because <laughs> you when you talk when you talk to him, I in the beginning I was it was I buy a lot of stuff from him. I like him, but I like referring to him as deranged donkey. So when I have these customer meetings, they're like, "Well, what do you do?" Well, you know, I got this stuff from deranged, deranged donkey, deranged donkey. I'm like, "Yeah, deranged donkey." I love it. He's gonna change his name. I think it's I think his his name is is really poor. Porcaso, P-O-U-R-C-A-S-S-O, but on Instagram, he's Deranged Donkey. Right. An open account on Instagram. That's a rare thing. Mm. Yeah. Jeff Investigates. Jeff Investigates? We've got a Jeff Investigates this week. Surely. <laughs> I don't know about that. I thought we were doing... Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Ah, you mean... Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Is that John Travolta? You got John Travolta? Uh, Reese? <laughs> you gotta guess who this is. I'll play it again. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> oh, it's supposed to be Jay Z. It's supposed to be Jay Z. It may be Jay Z. That was Jay Z? We've got a budget on the show. It may well be Jay Z. <laughs> I thought that was John Travolta from, from Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> one more time, one more time, one more time. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> That's fucking John Travolta. You got ripped. You got John Travolta, Jay Z. One more time, one more time. You gotta listen to more hip hop, brother. Yeah. D- get, get Travolta out of your time. head. Get Travolta. One more Think time. of Jay Z. Think of Jay Z. Okay, okay. Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Okay, I think the listeners have had enough. I must four times as good. That's John Travolta. (laughs) No one's ever going to think that's Jay Z. All right, it's fine. I liked it though. I, I, I'm very impressed. Very impressed that you got uh, Jay Z to 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 (laughs) appear on the show, the podcast. Congratulations. Impressive. So, hey man, can I ask you a question? That's good. So, I, I, I just. The last couple episodes, I did Jeff Investigates, and I was going on and on and on and investigating. So I thought I'd just, you know, open it up to questions that people had. And I thought I would ask you guys to, to, you could answer these questions, and then I'll pipe in every so often. So the first, hey, man, can I ask you a question, comes from... Hey, man, can I ask you a question? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. That's pretty funny. All right, all right. The first, the first, hey, man, can I ask you a question is from at Hammer and Tyne on Instagram. That's Dan Almquest. He says, seems like so many knife makers are concerned with balancing the knife at the pinch point. Like it's the knife, it's the chef knife's only, it's the chef's knife only characteristic. They never talk about the belly slash rocker or the overall shape of the blade when they're cutting, when the cutting actually happens. After spending 20 years in the kitchen using European and Japanese knives, I think the way the knife cuts and handles is far more important than being balanced in my pinch. Blade heavy isn't negative. And before I, before you answer, we have to finally make the decision. Are people saying chef's knife or is it a chef knife? I say it's a chef's knife, not a chef knife. I'd say chef knife. It's a thing, isn't it? It's a chef right, knife. Well, it's a chef's the chef, knife. The so. chef uses it so that it is the chef's knife, but the thing itself mm. is a chef knife. Surely, surely. I'm, I'm with chef Jeff. Chef's I, knife. I say chef's Always. knife, possessive chef. Because... Hmm. No. Hey man, can Very I specific. ask you a question? <laughs> well, I've been outvoted. It's a chef's knife. It's a <laughs> chef's right. knife. Okay, two right, to so one. So answer the question. Hey man, answer the question. I th- I think I agree. I think there's too much emphasis put on the you know the pinch point being balanced, and you see these pictures of people balancing a knife on a pencil and all these things. It's going to depend on what the knife's being used for. Um, the only example I can give is the the recent chef. The, sorry, the recent steak knives that I've been working on. Steak knives, I find generally it just too light, um, particularly if you've got you know a big hunk of meat. So the steak knives that I've just done had a very very heavy belly on them. So the weight is a bit more forward, which is just helping you cut. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really... Obviously, a knife needs to be comfortable. But with regards to balance at the pinch point, I don't well, know. Is it possible? Because one thing that I zoned in on is the this his talk about the belly and the rocker. Because... So basically, the radius of your blade, your cutting edge is the, the radius hmm. from the heel to the tip. Um, and in regards to the way you use a steak knife, that makes a lot of sense too, because a lot of people, when they cut, 
with their steak knife or something, you're actually tip to heel. You're not using your heel to the tip. And with a chef's knife, I and I put in a lot of my chef's knives. My the radius, I like a big radius because the way I cut and the way my friends cut is they're really using they're rolling it on that heel. And sometimes with more of a, a radius in your edge, you're going to have that more ergonomic uh, way to cut. Hmm. Yeah, I I think the, I think when it comes to the balance point and talking about balance point that's a pretty easy thing to really uh for people to talk about because i think so many of the other aspects are very subjective this guy really really likes the way uh it sounds like a, a blade heavy uh curvy european style edge um, but some people want a straighter edge some people want even more curve in their edge um, but European people, knives aren't European knives are are more full he I think when he says European knives he's talking full tang knives which are going to be more they're going to be more balanced because there's more steel in the handle mm. right mm. I I interpreted that as more blade heavy because in my experience with uh especially like a Wustoff chef's knife uh because it's a uh, European stainless it it needs a little extra material to kind of support that lead cutting edge so they I have I feel like they're they have a tendency to be a little bit more blade heavy, which is totally That's fine. That's also an integral knife. An yes, integral knife is. is to be more blade heavy. And so it, uh, yeah. So I think a lot of these things are super subjective, and I think too many people get very prescriptive and say it needs to be a flat cutting edge or it needs to be super curvy so it can do a rock chop. I think the benefit of having so many different makers is that they make knives in so many different ways, and that means that there's going to be a knife that suits just about everybody um i think again it just it's it's a bad move to get too prescriptive about how a knife should be because ultimately it comes down to different people like jeff you're a pretty tall dude but i'm like five or six inches shorter than you and so when i'm standing at a counter doing prep work we're working from different angles and so i'm gonna want to get those elbows up you got those elbows up exactly no they're yeah exactly you get those elbows up so I'm going to need, <laughs> need a different knife than you're going to want. And maybe you like, uh, because of the way you hold the knife or the way you use the knife, you're going to want something that's a little more, more blade heavy, or maybe you want something that's a lighter blade. And I might want the blade heavy. I just, I think it's, it's the balance point is an easy thing to point at and show, but it's not necessarily the end all be all of what makes a great knife. I think what makes a great knife for any individual is what feels good and is comfortable for them. That's it. Yeah, And I think you said it well last week, Mareko, when you said that get your knives out to as many chefs as you can. And you, you know, you're soon going to then see that there's no, there's no perfect knife for everybody, you know? Right. No. And hey anybody man, who can tries I ask to... you a question? <laughs> sorry. sorry Jay. <laughs> hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry for interrupting. No, this keep going. this this one is from Aaron Maliza. Aaron's a, he's a, a blacksmith and bladesmith out in uh, not too far from from uh, from where you're from. I think he's from the northwest. He's north uh, northwest. He says specifically about food release. Can S straight or convex grind release food as well as an S grind? Wait a second. Let me read this. Go. Let uh, me read straight. this back in. <laughs> All right. So specifically about food release, can a straight or convex grind release food as well as an S grind or a count compound grind? How important is the food release? I suppose it doesn't matter much to a butcher, but it might to someone slaying onions and celery all day. Food release. So to me, well, I hear this talk all the time, especially because I, I put an S grind also known as a compound grind on pretty much all my knives as a standard, unless somebody requests a different style grind because that's just what they like. Um, for me, the, uh, the, my biggest goal is to try to uh, grind a blade. So it reduces the friction, the actual cutting friction. I don't, I come from a, a production background when I was working in kitchens, so that means blasting through food all day. I don't you give mean a sh- the, you mean the performance. You mean that the, instead of friction, you're 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 saying that the mm-hmm. way the performance and how it's going through the food. Yeah. So the actual friction when the f- blade is in contact with the food and cutting through the food, depending on the thickness of the, uh, especially at the lead cutting edge, and the geometry of the knife, that's going to 
determine how much friction there is when you're cutting through it. And I don't give a shit about food release. Uh, you know, I have a, a lot of customers who really do care about that, and I hope I'm not alienating them. But uh, the S-Grind does help uh, with food release, but for more than anything, it's helping to reduce drag or f- cut friction when you're cutting through stuff. So right. there's less resistance when you're cutting through stuff, and therefore you're not working as hard to cut through the material. Um, and it's not but, creating like a suction cup on your on your knife, right? And you know, but that's not the only grind that does that. Like a lot of different grinds do that, and it uh, ultimately tell. I think comes down to the geometry, uh, right. like uh, the last half inch or five eighths of an inch leading to the cutting edge really makes a difference in how well something cuts into the food. And it, whether it's a convex grind, a flat grind, an S grind, or whatever, you know, that's really what's going to make the difference. For me, I don't care about food release because, again, production environment, all I care about is blasting for, through food. And if I'm working with a knife that makes it hard to blast through food, onions, carrots, celery, cucumbers, whatever, all day long, I don't want to use that knife. I want a knife that's going to create the, less, the least amount of drag, least amount of resistance, so I can get the work done quicker. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Jeez. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I, like this. I didn't think I was going to like this as much as I do. So <clears throat> this one is from Backyard Workshop. That's uh, Jared Wilson. With all things equal in terms of thickness and edge geometry of a standard 8-inch chef's knife, how close is the performance between carbon steel and stainless steel? And then he said this. All right, so basically he's saying, what do you think the real difference is between carbon steel and stainless steel? And then he said this. Uh, he said, I like my carbon steel, but the knives I've given to my family get absolutely trashed. Just wondering if it should, if I should bite the bullet and make some stainless stuff instead and fork out some cash for someone to do the heat treatment for me. Hmm. I think I'm interested in to... this answer too myself because yeah, yeah I do a bit well, of carbon, I do a bit of stainless. But with regards to you know performance, you know, I, I think a lot of it is to do with how easy it is to sharpen as opposed to the actual performance of a knife. Uh, but I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. Well, for me, when I first started making knives, I was making bushcraft knives with Matt Paul, and we were forging stain, we were forging carbon steel knives. And then when I started to make um, knives for people, it was really for my friends and my family or people that I know, and people wanted the knives, right? But the problem was when I started to make the carbon steel knives, they were just like, yo, I love this knife, but what the fuck is happening to it? And it got to the point where I was like, people wanted stainless steel because they wanted the ease of the maintenance. So I really tried to say, all right, well, look, you're welcome. I have to make it happen. I got to give people what they feel comfortable with and what they want. So I started doing more stainless steel knives. And generally speaking, a lot of people, especially who are not new to knife making or they don't know, there's once in a while you'll get someone say, I mean, my customers are different than Mareko's customers. And a, a lot of times, one, once in a while, I'll get someone to say, I only use, I'm a carbon steel man. I only use carbon steel. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, when I talk to my customers, they say, I don't understand the difference. So when I, usually my rule of thumb is I explain it to them, but I'll say to them, I don't want you to get something that you're nervous about maintaining. You're going to pay a lot of money for something that you're worried about. I would rather you have something that you feel comfortable with. My prices are not the, not the point where when you buy one, you're going to start sweating. You know, sometimes you buy something super expensive and you get nervous. Sometimes you're just like, I hope I can maintain this correctly. So Generally speaking, most of my knives are, car- are stainless steel. I think that if your edge geometry is correct and it's right and it's sharp and it's thin and it's good, I think you're going to get very similar performance. However, I've done a lot of stain, a lot of carbon steel knives recently, and they they just they cut better. They're better. They're just better. But you know, you got to live with it. So it's, it's like you know, you just don't go out to the. St- st- pet store and buy a dog and then saying here you go here's your here's your new pet. giving you a gift of a dog and now you got to feed it some no. people don't want to do that mm. I, i've got a video up on my website so when people ask that question about carbon or stainless uh, it's, it's a knife care video where it explains you know the care that would go involved with a carbon knife compared to a stainless so most customers who you know they may be on the fence before will come back and say they want a stainless 
And so I think if two knives are side by side and they're dimensionally all the same, but one is carbon, one is stainless, I think on average, the carbon is going to perform better than the stainless. Yes. And what I mean by performance is just it's going to take a fine edge. It's going to keep, but more than anything, it's going to keep that fine edge a little better than the stainless. But when it gets to the some of the kind of more exotic stainlesses, they hold an edge just as well as a carbon. But those materials are ex- way, they're 10x more expensive to use than most other stainless materials. Uh, but when it comes to like his comment about the carbon knives getting trashed, I think the issue there is a lack of understanding and education and uh, about the maintenance that goes into it. And a lot of people think, oh, especially when I'm talking to people, like all my knives I make are carbon steel. And so they're like, oh, but aren't they way more high maintenance? They're going to be a pain in the ass. I'm like, look, do you have cast iron at your home? And they're like, yeah, oh, yeah, I love my cast iron. My cast iron is great. It was my great-grandmother's. I was like, okay, when you're done using your cast iron, you don't just throw it in a sink full of soap and water, do you? And you're like, no way. It would destroy I was like, that's the same thing with carbon steel. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. You're, 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 <laughs> they they're might lying, be lying to you. You're crazy. They, they don't but know I, about their grandparents' <laughs> cast iron. They're throwing in the sink and hoping someone else does it. But uh, I I liken it to maintaining and taking care of cast iron. Cast iron is actually more maintenance than taking care of a carbon steel knife. Unless I've cut w- w- uh, cut up oily food or raw food, if it's fruits and vegetables, um, I just rinse off my carbon steel knife, wipe it dry, and put it back away. It take it literally takes about <clears throat> twenty five seconds. But and, Jared, Jared, his family doesn't care. And but that's I think the problem. A lot of it's people, a lack of education, of, lack of appreciation. Well, do, do you shave every day? Fuck no. Well, there you go. There's lack of education right there. <laughs> do you take a shower every day? Oh, definitely not. Well, there you go. That's a lack of education right there. You're <laughs> you're not maintaining your shit right there. I think that, you know, look, I, I don't, sometimes when I have my car, I don't, Get the oil changed at you know twenty five hundred. They people have to live their lives. These a lot of these people are just preparing their breakfast or their lunch for their kids. You know, cutting the you know. So I just think that you know people are you know you can't. I don't like mowing the lawn. I hate mowing the lawn. I fucking hate it to the point where my wife says, "Hey, it'd be great if you mowed the lawn." I'm like, oh Jesus Christ, the mowing the lawn. I got to learn how to you know. Yeah, I have to figure something out. I'm thinking about ripping off that lawn and putting goddamn. Astro pebbles down or something <laughs> you get that uh that Flor- floridian uh what is it pumice stone rock front yard or backyard hey man can i ask you a question hey man can i ask you a question <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I i thought i was gonna hate this now i like it. All right, this question, this, hey, man, can I ask you a question, is from J- our friend Jay Spake, Jeremy Spake. Yeah, baby. He actually he actually sent, he's the man, he's the, Jeremy Spake is a great guy. He actually sent me this question that was so long, I had to write to him, like, dude, you've got to put this into one sentence because we're never going to get there. All right, so here's his question. And then what we're going to do is we're going to ask one more big question, and then we're going to do rapid-fire questions. So Jeremy Spake asks, hey, man. Can I ask you a question in terms of <laughs> in terms of a basic education on the common knife profiles for the kitchen? What are the differences and similarities? What makes a French pattern? What makes a German? What makes a Gyoto? Or what makes a Santuco? And let me tell you, the first inten- the first iteration, the first edit of this question was not that short. You know, the easiest answer for this is a book that I have, and it goes into the differences between various production knives, various custom knives, and so on. Um, and it's simply called Knife. Um, the book is That's called a good Knife. Book. Um, mm, I got Tim, that book. By Tim Haywood. Um, available on Amazon, wherever, wherever you get your books. Um, really good knife. Um, really good book, rather. Um, and yeah, and then he lists the differences between, you know, French patterns and, you know, what a, a German pattern would look like and those differences between them. So that would be my first recommendation. Get that book, which is Knife by Tim Hayward. I've always been interested in the fact that, you know, the, the Japanese style knives and the European style knives really are these kind of two styles that are the most popular. And I love the fact that like old school Japanese knives, they decided, hey, you know what, we're going to start making knives like 
the Europeans and they were making knives and they were trying to like, I don't know if they were translating, like when they make, when you hear people talk about a petty knife, the funny thing is, is it's spelled P-E-T-T-Y, but that comes from, it originally comes from the French petite. Hmm. And they were just, they were trying to make it happen and it turned into the petty knife. I always think that the kind of like the way these kind of different version of uh, their variations of knives, they kind of, when they kind of meet up and merge and, and kind of, you know, work together, how, how similarity, how the similarities go and how they kind of hybridize. I've always liked that. I would say generally speaking, when it comes to profiles, uh, a German style chef's knife comes more to a point. So I would like, I, I make a, I have a knife that I call a European chef's knife, but I would to be, if I were to be more specific, I would say that it's more of a German pattern European style chef's knife because it, mm-hmm. it comes to more of an even, almost kind of spear type point. Uh, it does have a little, Excellent. It, it has, it does come or has a little bit of more of a belly for rock chopping uh, on the cutting edge side, but otherwise it almost comes to an equal spear point. And then with when it comes to a French chef's knife, um, the point um, it has kind of a bull nose. At the, out towards the tip, and I think part of that design feature comes from uh, some time in that whatever I can't remember a few hundred so, years back, but they couldn't have points on their knives because people were using them as weapons, so they thought by hmm. blunting the nose um, that would help solve that problem. But you can so just to back up a hair, yeah. what you were saying coming to a, a point that that's that French style is where the spine radiuses from the heel at the top, the, the spine of the knife, it radiuses down kind of like very, like similar to the radius of the, the, the edge. So it's more like a willow. I can't yeah. And I think a, a French is. pattern would have a bit more of a belly to it as well. Right. You know, so it's, it's not that thinner, sharp edge of the German pattern. Um, but well, it's just got a, more of a rocker to it too. Well, then that's well, funny also, that you say that because when I the 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 sabatiers that I've seen, especially some of the old ones, like hundred year old, they have almost no belly. They're, per, no, they're yeah, almost you're right. straight edge, where the the German style has more of a belly. Um, and then, of course, the Japanese gyudo is kind of a take on the French chef's knife uh, because of the popularity of the sabatier. Um, but there's the point when it comes when it finally meets at a point. From what I understand, it's supposed to be below center so if you were to rest the blade on a cutting surface um, whatever the height at the heel is when you bring that height down to the tip the tip should be below the halfway point or just at the halfway point but no higher um, and the spine is straight and the spine, until the last itch in a lot until the last inch and then it just drops down yeah to right. kind of a blunted point and you know what the funny thing is about these, you know, back in the day with those cowboys in Argentina, those gauchos, mm-hmm. their gout, the gaucho, the traditional gaucho knife came from, they were stealing French chef knives and putting them in holsters and running out onto their horses. <laughs> that, that traditional gaucho knife was, you know, came from French chef knives. That's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, there you go. Well, hey, can I ask history. you a question? Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I love interrupting with "Hey, can I ask you a question?" We're, get, we're getting our money's stop. worth out of this jingle. Oh boy, did you do a good job! Congratulations. <laughs> All right, hey man, can I ask you a question? This is from Coulter Knives. This is an interesting question, and we're going to have to tiptoe around a little bit, but I think we got it. Where is the best place to purchase sand mai if you're not forging and only work with stock removal? I've asked knife makers in the States to help me with this, but I've yet to find a reliable source to purchase from. I'm out with this one. I've never used sand mai, so I'm out. All right, make, so we I know... Make my own. Why, he makes his own. So we know what sand mai <laughs> is. Sand mai is uh, like a car... Usually, generally speaking, it's a carbon steel core with a stainless steel jacket, right? Mm. If you Clad, go... Cladding on either side. It's also sometimes yeah. uh, mild steel or wrought iron, but... Right. It's it's yeah. basically, you you it's, need to look for something called, it should be double clad. And if you go to the New Jersey Steel Baron, they do sell double clad steel and the uh, double clad steel for, you know, chef knives, what you're talking yeah. about. And basically what it is, is the core is 52100 and the stainless is uh, 410. And they do sell lengths but it's called double clad and let's just keep it at that <laughs> okay 
It's, there it's there are like some legal issues. There have been some conversations well, in the last couple let's just, of years. But let's just, I'll keep it that. very easy. Yeah. I When I was a kid, I used to like to go to McDonald's to get a McRib. And I loved a McRib. And a McRib was one of these pressed bullshit pork sandwiches, barbecued pork sandwiches with barbecue sauce and onions and pickles on a bun. And my dad and I used to love it and we used to love it and we used to love it. And I would go out to places and I would say, I really want to get a McRib. Where can I get a McRib? And there was nobody selling McRibs. And the reason why is because McRibs were made by McDonald's. So mm-hmm. San Mai may or may not be from McDonald's. You get what I'm saying? This is not something you can. <laughs> you, 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 does it, are, are we? Well, I'm, I think I'm speaking in a way that's very clear to understand. And then yes. this is like you were saying that there are legal issues, but if you're looking for San Mai from other places or something, Similar, if you're looking for a McRib at Wendy's, look for a barbecued pork sandwich with pickles and onions. You call so, it tri-layer, tri-layer steel. Yeah. Well, it's, they call it double-clad. Most I mean, of them call it double-clad, and it, I know they sell it as double-clad. Yeah. I mean, it's for Japanese, those who don't know, meaning three what is the layers. Advantage? What is the advantage of having a clad knife? Well, especially well, I mean, if it has a stainless steel jacket, it's ease of hmm. maintenance. And if you're and and you wonder and you say to yourself, "Whoa, a carbon steel core with stainless steel outside." Well, I know that stainless steel heat treats at a different temperature than carbon mm-hmm. steel. When you're heat treating double clad, you're heat treating the core because the core is going to be your edge. Your edge is not going to be the cladding because when you make that bevel, that uh, stainless steel is going to be ground away. So you're going to be left with um, the core. So you want to heat treat. To what the core needs, not what mm. the stainless steel needs. Leave this. We'll leave the jacketing alone. Just clad to the core. Okay. Gotcha. Now we're gonna do rapid fire one sentence answers. So, hey man, can I ask you a question? Do I need to play this jingle every time? Fuck now? yes, Am you I doing do. That? One no, one time. Just fuck yeah, just one time. <laughs> hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I wonder how many listeners we've lost by now. None. They love it. They love this shit. They love this shit. One, that's it. You don't have to answer. Okay, so here's um, two guys asked this. It's MCHL underscore GPPRT. Um, you're killing me. Don't ask another question. And RC underscore Saunier. They both asked, what steel would you recommend for a kitchen knife? One sentence. I've been trying Niolox this week. So it's a stain-resistant tool. It's got really good edge holding and decent toughness. Um, and it can, contains niobium, which I haven't got a clue what that is, but it's, it's almost like a chromium. So it's a hybrid between a, a carbon and a stainless knife. That's me. Not one sentence, but that's a good answer. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Mareko. One sentence. I, I'd say as long as you take a second to just explain to people the the performance benefits of high carbon, high carbon would be the way to go. That's a good one sentence. I say 440C. All right, next question from Lord Torin. Lord Torin. One sentence, guys. What's the most important thing to look for in a chef knife? Craig. Speak to the maker. Explain the kind of stuff you'll be doing with the knife, and and they'll be able to make you a knife that's specific to you because there's not one knife that's going to work for everybody. Those three sentences, but I get you. Mareko, what's the most important thing to look for in a knife? Uh, Edge retention. There, look at see that look how fast all right i'm not even i i say just give whatever the fuck you want that's my answer all right next question <laughs> is from th- uh four guys this is this is a good one this is a good one so j jr underscore palm and marlboro handcraft and under a y underscore customs and dupree knives all asked how thin should the edge be before sharpening craig Slices, almost wire edge, anything more, sort of 0.2 mil, which I suppose it, the Americans, 10 to 20 thou, I suppose. Nice. Mareko, go ahead. Uh, I would agree, uh, generally speaking, about maybe 10 thousandths of an inch. All right. My answer is thin. All right. Next question. This is from some son of a bitch named Chop Knives. Beef with cheese. Beef with cheese, good or bad? Craig. Good, good. You guys have cheeseburgers or plastic cheese. We have we have a good cheese with a good That's steak. not one sentence. One sentence is over. All right, Mar- Mareko. <laughs> Beef with cheese, good or bad? Delicious. Good. All right. Here's the correct answer. Cheeseburgers? 
and Philly cheesesteaks only. Everything else, you're out. That's my answer for that. Next question. <laughs> this is from at Hartman1128. Is there a brand of knife you can get at the store that will be compatible to a custom knife? Craig. No. A custom knife can be tailored to, to your exact style, whereas a shop bought knife can't. Nice. Marekko? My answer is that there are many that will certainly cut, but no, they are not comparable compatible to Chef's Knife. My answer is pay up, motherfucker. All right, next question. <laughs> this is from at Pocono John. This should be quick. Do you recommend an ele- electric knife sharpener? And if so, which one? Craig? No. Good. Mareko? Nope. Good. Me? No. All right. That was the best one yet. All right. So the answer is no, Pocono. John, you're fucked. All right. uh, Second to last from RK3DVM. Is it possible to have an an multi-purpose oyster knife that can be used for EDC? Craig. One sentence. Yep. Yep. Um, no rules, hyphen. But I would imagine you, you'd have some... <laughs> you, you'd, you'd have what are you quite asking, th- Siri? Are you recording have... to Siri? Go ahead. <laughs> you'd have thick stock on an oyster knife, comma. If you want something <laughs> small as an EDC, comma, maybe a little Kiridashi would suit better. Full stop. <laughs> Very good job. Beautifully All right, Marekko, what's your answer? Uh, I'm going to say no, because you don't want to edge on your oyster knife. Good answer. My answer is yes. It's called a Swiss Army knife. They were opening them with Swiss Army knives forever. There you go. That's the answer. And the last question from Swift Knives UK: Is it okay to put a K tip on everything? Go nuts. Develop your own style. Go nuts. Yeah, I agree. Sent uh, or K tips exist already before they became popular on many different styles of knives, especially Japanese influences. I say fine. All right, we're done with that. All my segment is over. No more. <laughs> hey man, can I ask you a question? I did like it. Morocco's notes to a new knife maker. <laughs> <laughs> She's out I of like the hospital. That we kept I'm the recording farts. again. <laughs> I'm glad we kept the farts. As soon as you get her out of the hospital, you put a mic in her face. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, or I've been talking about, uh, let's see, what process by which to make knives and then what style of knives you want to start with. But I think I needed to actually back up. And one of the first things you really should be considering is PPE, which is short for personal protection equipment. Uh, and that means eye protection, respirators, ear- hearing protection, wearing an apron, uh, it just depends. Wearing gloves, also making sure you're wearing uh, cotton clothing, uh, leather boots. These are all things you want to think about before you even start standing behind an anvil or next to a grinder and thinking you're going to start doing some work. Because the reality is, all of the equipment, whether you have a super well set up shop or a janky ass setup in your shed, they'll all get the job done. But all the tools want to hurt you the second you're not paying attention. If you're not doing, taking the steps to protect yourself, you're gonna get really, you can get really messed up. Uh, so when it comes to eye protection, um, I've tried all kinds of stuff: regular eye protection, like glasses, safety glasses, to goggles. Ultimately, I had to settle on a full-on face shield because I got a, a round face because I'm half Samoan, and so, and I'm a little overweight. <laughs> throw that in Jeez there. Jeez Louise, anything else? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I uh, love long walks on the beach. But anyways, right. um, I have to use it. a whole face shield because uh, stuff was always bouncing in my eyes no matter what. And so, and then next, hearing protection, over ear, inner ear, I think it just comes down to your personal preference, but protecting your hearing is a really good call. Uh, mm-hmm. Respirator, I use a, a 3M respirator. Uh, it's a quick release. You can get it off Amazon. I can't remember what it's called exactly, but I'll link it up in uh, Instagram stories and on the Knife Talk Instagram. But uh, it's quick release, so if you need to sneeze for whatever reason, you can pop it off and sneeze outside of your mask instead of inside of your mask. Or if you need to talk to somebody, it also makes it easier to talk to somebody. Uh, can but I tell it... you something real quick about yeah, respirators? When, yeah, whatever you do, when a good song comes on, 
don't sing into the respirator. I had Angel of Harlem came on the radio, and I was going full blast singing Angel of Harlem, and I swear to God, my eyes started to get red, and I almost fucking passed out, because I couldn't push the air out as fast as the oxygen was coming in. I swear to God, I started getting heart palpitations from fucking Angel of Harlem, so don't sing in your fucking respirator. Learn your lesson. You need unless, to change your filters out. Unless you've got a respirator like mine, which is one of these Ooh, yeah. um, these power cap kind of respirators where it's a full face shield um, and you have the filters across the top. Um, yeah, it's a positive and, pressure. I yeah. want one of those. Oh. Yeah. So it's pumping air into the face shield. You have like a like a little gasket, like a cloth gasket that goes around your face. And so it's kind of sealing it off passively. And then yeah. it's pumping air in through the top of the bill of the cap. And it creates a positive pressure environment, so air leaves the mask, but nothing wants is getting in. Yeah, right, I want yeah. One of and those. it's nice, cool air, cool air shot down your face. There's nothing tight across your mouth and nose. You can breathe completely normally. Yeah, um, yeah, they're great, and they've also got some sort of protection factor on the actual screen itself. So you know, if anything to fly up, just you know, a face shield. Um, they work really well, really, really well. Um, battery operated, lasts about seven or eight hours. So it's going to give you a full day of grinding, really. Love it. One thing I'd like to add to this, this is perfect, is, and this is falls into um, something I've been interviewing um, people to work for me. And the one thing that I that I, I stress, and this is something that's not, it's, it's similar to PPE, but it's basically, it's confidence in equipment. And basically... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times where you have to, yeah, your eye protection is going to protect you from sparks and your respirator is going to protect you from this. But if you're, do you know what to do when you're using your bandsaw and then all of a sudden you're pushing on the outsides of the, of your steel and then your steel pinches the bandsaw and it Mm. stops the bandsaw. Do you know what to Mm. do? Or when you're drilling with your drill press and all of a sudden you're going too fast and it hardens the steel and then it catches and it turns into a helicopter. The confidence in what you're doing and using your head and just having a very, you know, that's why I try, I don't want people listening, unless they're hand sanding, I don't want people listening to stuff on their iPhones, because a lot of, or whatever, podcasts or whatever, because you become, you, you're you not aware of all these little things that can happen, like my fingertips, I goddamn hit the goddamn grinder every time with the fingertips, these are some of the things, is confidence in equipment is just something that you can't, you can't learn. You got to know it. And you have, and part of that is like being very mindful of like all the awful things that can happen. And then sure. how do you deal with the? How do you adjust in midstream? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and when also I was at the center for metal. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I was going to say when I was at the center. Can for I ask metal you arts, a question? Yeah. Go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> go no, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> Look, you didn't have a question for me. No. You played the bumper and you didn't have the, the question. All right. When I was at the Center for Metal Arts back in the day, we would use we were using a lot of po- the power hammers all the time, and I was I had to get myself terrified and say every time I stepped in front of the power hammer, you know, you get super comfortable when you're working in a lot. Like we were doing tons of pickets and just like you know thousands of pickets, and I was making points and I was you know using all the dies. I had to in my mind repeat all the time. This thing is going to fuck you up so bad. You're never going to repair your. It's never going to get good once you get fucked up by a power hammer. And I really like grinders and all this stuff. Is you have to be like beyond careful. Yeah. You know, it's just the worst. Yeah. Because these insurance companies, they think that you're a knife maker that you ha- that you're going to get cut up with knives. I've had a, a insurance company say, "Well, we don't feel comfortable with you because you're around knives all the time." And I said, "Listen, shithead, I, I'm the knives are sharp for the last five minutes before I send them out. You don't, I don't have to. We don't, I, we're not juggling knives and throwing them <laughs> at balloons on top of our heads like Speak for pirates." Yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying that, like, the the, the, the time you're around sharp knives, these people think that yeah. you're around sharp knives all the time, and it's not, that's not the dangerous part. People don't realize that the buffer could be the most dangerous thing oh, in your yes. shop. It so you just, like, everything, everything, you know, and getting yourself hurt, it's just never good. Never right. good. Did you see the videos that Alex Steele put put up? With the, I could the do health it. and safety videos. Oh, the safety ones. It. No, I saw when he was putting them together, but I haven't watched them I couldn't them do yet. it. I won't do it. I can't do it. I, 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 I mean, I understand. I'm, I, I'm with you. But it's like, 
you know, I got it. But you should watch it. You should watch it. I'm not. But you should. <laughs> just, for the, you, Alec, just for the comedy you, value, if nothing else, because he uses fake arms and fake blood and fake legs. It's brilliant. brilliant. I don't, I don't want to see extra trauma. I appreciate it, and I agree <laughs> with it, and I support it. But I'm a miserable human being. I don't, I don't need to be more miserable. Yeah. We, I, one last thing about safety before we go. And uh, grinders. Grinders, like Jeff was just talking about, he always catches his fingertips on the grinder. If you're just getting started and you're not used to a grinder, whether it's a 2x72 or a 1x30 you got from Harbor Freight, wear gloves because kind of the spatial awareness isn't there yet until you've had a number of hours or reps under your belt. Um, I grind barehanded now, but I started, I, I almost exclusively ground with gloves on for three years before I did any barehanded gl- grinding. And it's just because shit happens where you do catch the edge of a fingertip. And if you got a glove there, it's going to make contact with that glove first. It, especially with a sharp belt, it could go really fast and go straight through that glove. But Ideally, it's catching that first, and you react, and you say, "Oh shit, I was getting a little too close." And right. you pay more attention. Mm. Well, well, I'd say if that's gloves. If you're using a tool rest, um, uh, you know, on, on a platen or something, you don't want to be using gloves there because if that glove gets caught, that little tiny gap mm. between your rest and the yeah. belt is just going to pull you down. And you, that's you a good stack. note. But I that's part of confidence and equipment. So that was never a concern. Was that that's enough? part that's that's about that's confidence in equipment i i, I don't you know i use, when i used to forge i only i had a glove on my i had a glove on my managing hand and i got to the point where i was like this is all getting in my way and 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 it's the same thing with the grinding i when it was cold you know you know i tell you what i do like is if you're if you're if you're cold is i'll do like those uh those uh latex gloves but in regards to Gloves. I don't wear gloves because I need to kind of be. I want to feel what's going on. Like if yeah. I'm grinding a knife, I want to see how. I want to feel how hot it's getting, so I know when to dunk it. You know, I. I but you. It's that's called that's the confidence of equipment because that's your your confidence in what you're doing is you understand what's going to happen. You're not going to get caught in a thing or you know. Recently, I was uh, using a Scotch Bright belt and I was uh, cleaning an oyster knife and I was facing the tip upward. And the, the tip, the tip, you know, the, the, the scotch bright belt grabbed the tip, shot it down to the ground and put a big cut in my, my, uh, in my scotch bright belt. And luckily for me, that's all it cut. And I was just like, you stupid Jesus. son of a bitch. And it was like, it, you know, these things happen. You got to yep. be very aware. Gotta be aware. It can well, be easy to too, lose but... concentration. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. super. So that's why but... I don't listen to podcasts when I'm working. <laughs> Another point about the gloves is. A lot of people think it's to protect your hands from getting burned, but for me, it's about um, protecting them from getting cut up because that's going to be worse than a burn, uh, especially if you're just grinding blades. But part of the reason I say it's not for protecting from burns is because when your gloves start getting wet because you're dipping your blade in some water to cool it down, that water makes the glove all soggy wet. When your glove is wet, that water will transfer heat faster than a dry glove. Right. And so like a wet side sticks. towel in the kitchen. Yep. Don't use a wet side towel in the kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Oof. Steam burns. They're fucking horrible. <laughs> well, there you go. That's it. I That's think I, hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> yeah, what's up? Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> can we wrap this motherfucker up <laughs> i think we need to i think we need to so that's it for another week so a couple of reminders um remain, reminder of your discount from soul ceramics soulceramics.com forward slash knife talk get yourself the the cheapest even heat available at the moment definitely yeah. the nothing's cheapest. close nothing comes close soul no. ceramics they got the best deals going on right now and it's a they promo come. code right is knife talk is the promo code exactly yeah stick that in at the checkout and you'll yeah. get your well, extra $50 because they're hugely discounted already. Right. Yeah. Um, any questions that you have for us, get them to us either on the forum, which is forum.knifetalk.net or via Instagram, where Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. And, we and should... I, have a, I have a request. Please don't DM me with your extra help questions because I'm starting to get inundated with questions of like, hey, you were saying this. Do you think you hmm. could give me a tutorial on... Can you listen? 
We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to be doing this every week. We're going to put them on the thing. I'm not going to just stand around and write you a personal letter on how to do stuff. So so just leave it alone. Yeah. And use the forum. Please. There's, there's lots yeah. of people using the forum. Is there a specific thread on the forum that people are should be asking their questions to, or they just kind of generally be, throw them out there? It should be. This is the thread. It should be leave Jeff alone. Leave me alone. That's <laughs> what the thread is. Yeah. Leave me alone. Okay. Sounds good. There is there is a podcast um, board within the forum, so anything to do with the podcast, they can put it straight up there. Um, but you know, there's other people using the forum who you know they may be, well, they probably are far brighter than us. Um, so you're gonna get you know you're gonna get opinions from others, not just us. Um, lots of dick swinging. Lots of dick swinging. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a show. We'll you'll be hearing from us next week. All right. Thanks everybody. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.